0: Hello and welcome to another audio episode of the 100% Wild Podcast and today on the show my co-host Matt and I are joined by Nick Munt of the Bone Collector TV show and Nick is going to be helping us answer some questions about planning for and hunting the whitetail rut which believe it or not is coming up pretty quickly so give this one a listen I hope you enjoy it and if you're hunting good luck. All right welcome back to another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. Podcast. I'm Mark Kenyon with Wired to Hunt. I got Matt Drury with Drury Outdoors here next to me. Hello, hello. It's great to have you. Well, it's great for me to be here. I guess <laughs> <laughs> you're always here. <laughs>
1: I am literally always here at the studio. And a little more tree therapy would be nice. I know you got
0: to work that into the deal this coming hunting season. There
1: is no deal. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm handcuffed. <laughs> I know. You're
0: In the family no yeah, negotiations, yeah. right? There's no getting out. Yeah. <laughs> well, it could be worse. It, it could be. Worse.
1: I don't know though. I had a guy reach out to me at the end of last season in Outfitter and he said hey uh I may have said this already, but he goes, hey, uh, I noticed that you're the only jury that doesn't kill any big deer. Do you want to come out for a hunt? I'm like, uh, yeah, thanks.
0: Thanks for that. The, the, the nice offer, but then the backhanded. Yeah, yeah. But he's true. Uh, no, you, you killed a couple of nice bucks last year. Yeah, yeah. yeah good,
1: good year for having a baby November 4th and yeah. everything else going on. So, Oh,
0: yeah, a lot of guys would kill for that season. Yeah, yeah, it was good. That's awesome. Well, you know. speaking of November, and shooting big bucks we got a great guest today don't we
1: yeah we got Nick Munt from the bone collectors this is a guy that that we've known for a long long time he's one of the best in the industry uh, and he's one of the nicest guys in the industries more than anything so like the fun guy that comes off on TV like that's how he is in real life how's it going Nick
2: good man thanks for the accolades
1: <laughs> <laughs> You you guys just had a baby as well right
2: yeah, we did. We sure did. She's uh, three and a half months now. Her name's Della Rose. So
1: Beautiful. Going
2: a, good. Life changer, for sure. It's a Definitely. game changer.
0: Yeah. I just saw on your Facebook page a picture of you from this spring with like five of you all crammed into a ground blind. I was pretty impressed with that. that <laughs> how, how'd that hunt go?
2: That was a gift from God. We, uh, I, had, I had a camera up, and so across the road from this little—I got an 85-acre piece of property— and uh, across the road from there was an unpicked cornfield so i was seeing all these turkeys in that field and then they'd come back across the highway and back into the trees and i put up a camera and so every day about six o'clock i was seeing them come by this field edge on the edge of the timber so got the whole family out there um had the baby uh mallory and then jack and june the kids and so jack wanted to run a camera so i gave him a little camera Mallory had my big camera, she was holding the baby, baby was crying, uh, June, our five-year-old was all over the place, was bored, wanted to go home, so anyway, long story short, about six o'clock, I said, all right, everybody quiet, you know, we got to just be quiet for 15 minutes, and so everybody kind of quieted down, I called a few times, and um, there was still mass chaos, all of a sudden everybody quieted down, and, and uh, I looked out the window, and there was a big fire about a mile away, so I was kind of entertaining the kids with that plume of smoke and uh i just look over and here comes a big old gobbler right to the decoy and came in you know had the decoys at about 12 yards probably and so i was, was able to set june off my lap get my bow drawn and got all the cameras going and shot this gobbler right off the decoy and it was just a miracle that's i mean amazing. that's unbelievable
1: cool. miracle it's amazing what a ground blind and a decoy can do to a turkey yeah
2: <laughs> Literally, you can do jumping jacks once, he, once they get locked on. And yeah. It just was the coolest thing, you know, because the baby at that time was, you know, barely a month old. And, you know, we got a great picture with all of us and the turkey and just an unbelievable memory. So it was That's fun.
1: so cool.
0: That is super cool. It's got to be the earliest kill on video for a child like that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> think, I don't think anyone's ever been on a hunt the for youngest, a month old. <laughs> the youngest
1: bone collector in the brotherhood, yeah. right? Yeah. Now I'm the kidding. sisterhood.
0: It was cool. Oh, that's awesome. Well, very cool.
1: Well, we appreciate you coming on. We um, you know, like I said kind of in the intro, we've known you guys for a long time and uh it's it's always been fun to get together with you guys kind of at the trade shows. Of course, no nobody in the industry gets to get together enough. We wish we could kind of get together outside of just you know, for work reasons, but, um right. it's, it's always so much fun when we all get to hang out because there's so many things that kind of intertwine us all like the, the common bond basically of, of hunting and that passion. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, what always amazes me about you guys and you specifically is how much you travel. I mean, you seem to go all over the country. Um, so where, you know, this year, now that the baby's here, has your, schedule had to change a little bit or are you still going to hit it hard this fall
2: well first of all going back to you know what you you were saying about us you know getting to hang out and stuff i've been a big fan of the drury boys you know since moby dick was a minnow i mean this is (laughs) this for me is really cool because you know mark and terry are two of my deer hunting idols you know back in the day when it all started um mark and terry and uh, Don kiske and jay gregory I mean those guys were the ones that got it started for me and i i just really you know feel blessed to not only just have a relationship uh, with the Drury crew but also just to be honestly a friend of those guys and and they're some of the best guys there is and and the relationship to me is is great so with the, with that being said um tell me ask me that question again sorry about that
1: well, I was just saying you, you you always hunt so many places like you travel to hunt quite a bit and all right. three of you guys right. do, but right. this year with the baby, did you have to kind of alter your approach to your upcoming season or is it still kind yeah. of that you
2: yeah. know, onslaught? Things, things have changed a little. Um, I'm going to hunt as much, but before, you know, being single and not really living anywhere, I was able to load my truck and trailer and, and all my gear and go and, um, I basically would only spend about four nights in my bed from middle of August till January. And so things are going to change this, this year. I'll have to, um, schedule all my hunts where I know the exact dates. Um, I'm going to only be able to put in, you know, say I go to Kansas and I don't get it done. I'm only going to be able to be there five days where before, if I needed to stay eight or nine, it just wasn't a big deal. So Mm -hmm. in that respect, yeah, all my, all my trips are going to be, um, cut down so i'll have to get home on time and you know leave for the next trip on time and so that's going to be the biggest change i'm going on as much but i think as you guys know um time spent is uh, your biggest adversary or your biggest uh not adversary your biggest uh asset and um it's just going to be different this year because i'm only gonna be able to spend five days there's probably a few trips where if i need to stay another day i'll be able to because my lady is very understanding but um Things are going to change in that respect. I'm not going to drive everywhere. I'm going to do a lot of flying. Sure. I'll give you one
1: piece of advice. It seems like, and this is no matter what TV show you watch, just go the last day of your scheduled yeah. trip, <laughs> right? And you'll exactly. kill right away.
0: Exactly. <laughs> it does seem that way, you know, doesn't it? it? Uh,
1: yeah. It's, I don't know what the deal is, but I mean, it's you can watch any show f- from any company. It's that last day. It's last
0: 15 minutes of daylight, <laughs> yeah. last day. We'll, we'll see what maybe happens.
2: Maybe they just say it's the last day, because once you kill, that yeah. technically is the last that's, day. So. That's right. That's a good point.
0: <laughs> so uh, what is on the calendar, then, We're are you going
2: um well i think i'm gonna start in kentucky and then uh probably go to new mexico for elk after that and then uh i don't have i don't have the end of my september buttoned up yet we're you know we're we go to a lot of the same places so our schedule is somewhat made um and then uh i'll be in south dakota the first of october um middle of october i'll probably hit ohio end October, I drew a really cool elk tag in Oregon and it's a rifle tag. So I'm going to go to Oregon at the end of October. And then, uh, right after I get back from there, it's Wisconsin, um, Kansas, uh, Illinois, South Dakota, Texas, Oklahoma. Um, and then, you know, going into December, I'll probably hit Texas a couple more times, probably hunt South Dakota. I'm um, a little more archery. Um, you know, and that's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Um, I'll probably, that,
1: is that all, Yeah. <laughs> you
2: wow. know, I, sometimes if I get a, if I get somewhere and I get it done quick enough, we've got enough for show, I'll skip over somewhere else this yeah. year. That might be a little different, but, um, I'd like to, I'd like to hunt Missouri. I've never hunted in Missouri before. So that's someplace I want to try to get to. And I've got a couple of guys that have offered me places to hunt there. Um, but it's a full schedule. I mean, we do 20 original episodes for bone collector and 13 for road trips, so, we've got a lot of hunting to do and I'm okay with it. I, you know, for me, it's, that's what it's all about. You know, I signing hats and, and meeting people is fun and it's great and it's rewarding, but I really love to hunt and that's why I do this. You know, I'm, it's just my passion. It always has been. Um, it just killed me this spring. I, you know, I had a baby, so I just stayed home. I didn't do any bear hunting or turkey hunting. And typically, you know, I start in Florida, I go Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, then i make my way up to kentucky hunt my home state of south dakota wyoming nebraska and it just hasn't been hasn't happened so i'm really chomping at the bit for fall to get here (laughs) that's still
1: a lot of time away you do have an understanding wife because that's still a lot of time (laughs) (laughs) away
2: she's she's great she's great she's you know she knows my lifestyle and, and it's just been great so
0: good
1: deal
2: wow
0: well, oh. I think it uh, sounds like you've got a heck of a November calendar ahead yeah. of you, so I think our question today will be perfect for that. It's it's rut-related, okay. and uh, Matt, do you think we should get to that question of the day? Yeah, let's do it. Hi, my name's Chad Janchiski. I'm from Yorkton, Saskatchewan in Canada. Uh, first off, I'd like to say I love the podcast. It's great, lots of good information. My question for you guys would be, during the rut, um, I hunt with one of my buddies, and, and we seem to be two different people when it comes to noise-making. I, uh, I barely try to take a breath, and he's uh, making all sorts of noises. It never seems to fail for him, though. He always seems to kill a decent buck every year. What's your thoughts on how much noise you can make or how quiet you need to be during the rut season? All
2: right. What do you think about that, Nick? Well, you know, I I totally think the 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 quieter you are, the better. Um I try to slip in and slip out of every stand, as I know you know all the people that hunt for the Drury's do. And I never want to be seen by a deer. I never want a deer to smell me. I never want a deer to know I'm anywhere near its chunk of woods. So I'm as quiet as I can possibly be. And I, and I hunt with guys that are good hunters as camera guys. So sometimes I'm a little bit of a jerk when it comes to that because I tell people to be quiet. And um, it's just super important you know once deer figure out where your stand is um, I think you really decrease your chances and I know things in Canada I've hunted Canada a lot and certain areas of the country whether in the in the U.S. or Canada I think deer are different like in Kansas I think the deer are a little more docile they walk by and they sometimes look up and they see you and as long as you don't move and as long as you don't talk they'll go back to their business and not be too scared now you get to Georgia. And a deer looks up in that tree and it sees you in the tree, it's out of there. So I think it's different. And I know in Saskatchewan, where I've hunted, it's probably not the same everywhere, but the deer are fairly docile. They'll come in, you know, typically you're hunting over uh, some kind of a bait pile, whether it be corn or a hay pile with some grain of some sort in it. Um, That's great to me. I love that type of hunting and I love Saskatchewan. But I also know that sometimes the deer in Saskatchewan aren't as spooky as maybe deer in other parts of the united states like i said georgia alabama kentucky um probably even missouri uh, the deer are a little spookier so i just think you totally help yourself when you're quiet and like i say the more the more the deer figure out where you're at or they smell you or see you or hear you very sharply decreases your chances at harvesting a a mature buck
1: there's always going to be that friend that can fall you know, backwards into a giant deer. Yeah. You know, he's like, I smoke in the stand, and you know, it's like, all right, this guy,
0: uh-huh. you're
1: not the typical. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I love the fact that the guy, the, the guy, the loud guy. Hey, yeah, he always does kill killing a nice buck. Yeah, yeah, that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, Murphy's Law. But, but yeah. I, would you agree with this, Nick? I, I 100% agree with what you said that you want to minimize your level of intrusion or level of educating deer as much as possible. But at any time, if if at any time of year if you had to be a little bit louder or something like that, the rut is probably the time you might be able to get away with a little bit more than usual. Would you agree with that?
2: For sure. For sure. I think, uh, definitely, you know, they're preoccupied, especially the mature bucks. Um, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times those does are the smartest ones because they've always got a fawn to look after. Um, they're on their toes all the time and they're the ones that spot you. And a lot of times that buck is, he's just pinned onto her and you know, he's not leaving her. And so, a lot of times, you know, it's not even the buck that's, that's figuring you out. It's those dang big old logger headed swamp head does and, mm-hmm. and, uh, there's nothing better than taking one of those out of the herd, but you know, those are the ones that sometimes bust you. And so you gotta be really careful because if you're hunting a, say you got a small acreage, you know, if you're hunting hundred acres and, uh, a little bit of intrusion is going to send your deer to the neighbors. So you just, you gotta be, really be careful with it. Yeah. Do you have any
0: advice for the whole the, the whole access side of this as far as getting in and out of your stands without, you know, impacting your deer as much whether it be the the noise issue or or other aspects of getting in and out anything you've learned along the way that's been helpful?
2: Well, I think anybody that knows their hunting property, you know, if you're out there if you're grooming it, if you're hiking looking for sheds, if you're turkey hunting it, just get out there and you got to really find the nooks and crannies, ways in, the ways out. And if you don't know your piece of ground intimately you'll never be able to do that so you got to get out there you got to beat the bush a little bit when it's not hunting season get out there in the spring right after the snow's gone and shed season even if you don't find sheds on your ground and you know they're not there get out find the trails find the the ravines and the in the field edges and the ways to get into your stand undetected because it is the biggest thing i mean if you're if you're hunting you know again i keep going back to small acreages let's face it guys I want to own my own property. I want to have, you know, 500 acres in Iowa or 600 acres in Iowa, but I don't have that luxury. So a lot of us are hunting really small pieces of ground. And the, the biggest thing is, is you can intrude on that ground. Otherwise, you know, you're just spinning your wheels. So getting out there early season, checking for easy in and easy out access figuring out where the deer are moving so that you can get in without blowing up the stuff out of the timber and um, blowing out the bedding area, I think that's super key. And the only way to do that is just time spent in the woods, get out there and beat the bush, you know, figure out where to go, figure out where the deer are moving. The trails are obvious at the, at the early time of the year. That's the biggest thing to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you can never go wrong trying to be more careful, right? Yeah. You're, that's never going to hurt you. being more careful how you get in and out trying to be more quiet um on this noise front another thing for a lot of people like the way i hunt kind of like you mentioned nick i hunt a lot of small properties stuff i don't own um even some public and when you're doing that kind of hunting lots of times we're going in and we're like hanging hunting so we're mobile we're setting up new stands and moving to different areas and stuff and when you're doing that kind of style of hunting and maybe you're trying to get aggressive and get kind of close to a bedding area um you really need to obsess about noise, especially any kind of metallic noise. Um, I found and I've heard from a lot of other guys that are doing the style of hunting. Any type of metallic clank or, or anything, it's so out of the norm in the woods that the deer will be especially sensitive to that.
1: That's a yep. tough one too, because I mean everything. <laughs> your bow, your everything's making a noise, mm-hmm. you know, with a stand. Everything. It seems like at the when there's no wind, right there in the you know, in the morning, it's it's like getting into the stand. It's just the loudest thing, and it's amplified times yeah. hundred.
0: Yeah. So what a lot of guys are doing, and I've done this not to as much of a degree as some people, but proactively preparing your equipment to minimize that noise so like using hockey tape or some type of cloth tape and taping your tree stand taping your climbing sticks um, anywhere where you might have that metal on metal contact Mm -hmm. trying to blunt that with some type of cloth or tape um, can reduce those little noises or going in there in the summer and greasing a squeaky climbing stick that goes up that every time you walk up it it creaks you know finding those points where that noise is going to be and trying to minimize that because especially like you're saying nick these small properties we're being hunted a lot, you know, on the surrounding area. So these deer are heavily pressured. Any little tweak like that could, you know, educate the one mature buck in the mm-hmm. area, maybe that you're hunting. So if that's your situation, I do think the attention to detail is is really important.
2: Sure. Um
0: yeah. now, and I
2: think too, you'll find that a lot of the guys that are the successful guys killing big deer. Um, are definitely super, super meticulous. I mean, I look back on all the guys that, when I was a cameraman that I hunted with, um, when I was a guide, all that kind of stuff, looking back, the guys that pay attention to detail and do that, they're the guys that are consistently killing the biggest deer, and you you see it in all the top big deer killers in our industry. Now I know there's guys that aren't on TV, that have never been in a magazine that people don't know about that are unbelievable hunters, maybe from Pennsylvania or South Carolina, and every year, They're killing the biggest deer in their area whether that be a 125 or a 117 you know it's all relative but Mm -hmm. those guys the ones that are meticulous and pay super attention to detail those are going to be the guys that year after year you know end up taking the nice buck in their area and i think i think it's just no doubt about it
1: yeah i think like mark and terry just having hunted with them it's amazing how we're saying meticulous, they're anal. <laughs> like it's yeah. crazy. Like they don't want you to be moving at all. If you're the camera guy and that's tough for the camera guy. Cause you know, a lot of times you're trying to get, you know, whether it's around a branch or a tree or a limb. And there's, a, and I know why they're like that. Not only because of the big deer, but you mentioned it a while ago, Nick, the does like, mm-hmm. there's always a doe off camera somewhere that you're not seeing when you're watching the final product at home that is staring right at the camera guy or the hunter. It seems like every time. So yeah. as the camera guy, you got to be in the mindset of being the hunter from that standpoint, Like you have to have like awesome, hunting skill set. Yeah. But but you're hunting through the eye, the lens, you know? Like that's what you're doing. You're hunting through that lens.
2: yeah And that's tough yeah. to do. And I'm a I'm kind of a when I'm in the woods, I don't know if it's because I was a guide for a long time or or what, but I kind of take charge. And when I see a deer, it's just I don't know, I don't try to do it, but I I tell the camera guys, "Don't move, stay still." You know, I'm over and over and over and when I let, look at the raw footage of some of the hunts, I just Think to myself, God, I must be kind of a jerk because I keep telling them (laughs) they still don't move, you know,
0: all that kind of stuff.
2: I don't know. That's just in my nature, I guess. I I try to take charge so we can get the job done. Yeah. And the guys probably get mad at me. They're probably sitting up there going, "I know I'm not supposed to move. (laughs) Shut up, you know."
1: (laughs) It, It takes so much, especially with two people on the tree. It takes so much for that one moment to go right. And, yeah. and so much work to get to that point. So, I mean, I, I know how you feel. Mark and Terry, and I know I'm the same way. Like, that's usually when I get the most vocal via whisper. <laughs> but yeah. it's like, y- right. you know, you're stressed to the max, and you might only get that one chance in that spot. Yes. You know what yeah. I mean? So, like, oh, yeah. everybody better be on their A game. <laughs> yeah,
0: you gotta yeah. take advantage of those opportunities. Right. Now, I wanna throw a, a very different. Um, Perspective on this whole issue related to making noise and access. It's it's crazy. It's out there. But this is an idea. I do not remember where I first heard about this, but I do know that Bill Winky was sharing a story of a friend of his who did this. Um, and then I went and I kind of dove into it further and talked to some other people for an article for um, that I was writing. And basically the idea was if you were trying to access a stand during the rut and for whatever reason you didn't have a quiet way to get in there, and it was one of those perfectly... You know, those perfectly crystal quiet mornings. It's like five in the morning, frosty. Every step you take is super loud. You know those mornings we're Mm. talking about. And you hate going in there. You just know everything's going to hear me. In that type of situation, the idea is you embrace the noise. (laughs) And you literally make a racket getting into your stand. Run to your stand. Sound like, (laughs) like rutting deer, chasing, maybe even stop and grunt. And make a racket getting to your tree stand. Get in there and... Basically, you're you're, a decoy, you're a noise decoy. So instead of trying to mask your noise, embrace the noise, try to sound like something natural. And I actually have had numerous people through social media reach out to me about this idea, saying that they've had bucks come in at first light just after they came racking through, making all that noise, coming right to their tree stand, looking for all that noise. Um, I've done
1: this with camera guys, but not on purpose.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's it's obviously not something you want to do all the time, but as like a wild card type thing in a weird situation, you can kind of see how it might work. Um,
1: Maybe yeah, in a
0: tough situation,
1: I'd have a hard time. Just my mentality, I would have a hard time doing that.
2: What are your thoughts on that, Nick? Well, think about when you're sitting in your stand. I mean, you hear something in the woods, and you know half the time you don't know if it's an armadillo or a possum or a squirrel or a deer. I mean, they all have their own noises, but. You know when you first hear that noise if it's far off all you can hear is leaves going so you know i i think we sometimes give deer a little more credit um their animals and yeah they have a, a pretty good keen sense about them but i don't think they hear a noise and go oh that's a that's a man you know if you're 150 yards through the thick woods and they can't see you and they hear that that the leaves and stuff going you know they they probably are curious to it and sometimes we probably overdo it a little bit, I think, but uh, Bill Winky is uh, is somebody that I totally respect. He's a great friend of mine, and if he says it works, I'm going to try it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is an interesting idea, that's for sure. Um, I've never used it getting into a stand, but I have had a time where it was like an evening set. It was after dark, yeah. and I was like, okay, I'm going to make a racket getting out of here, and I'm going to spook deer. So I was like, screw it. I'm going to try. And that, I did like yeah. the jog, hop, jog, and kind of just embrace the noise and... It's hard to quantify whether or not it helped at all, but yeah.
1: right. Mark and Dad always are, you know, they they use their hoot owl to get out or mm-hmm. a coyote or you know sound or something like that, and I can't do either of those. So <laughs> right. Usually, yeah. I'm stuck with just making noise to get out,
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I'm I'm always quiet, no matter what. I just tiptoe around and just it's just I don't know. That's just how I am, you know. I just am super super quiet all the time, and that's just what I try to do definitely i think that the safe uh, yeah that's
1: probably the safe bet. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: so what about other things during the rut nick i mean you are you're hunting many many different areas of the country during the rut you're experiencing yeah. a lot of different hunting situations um i guess i'm kind of curious first off have you seen the rut being different across all these places i mean is the rut when you're hunting down in georgia dramatically different than in south dakota or iowa or anything like that
2: yeah i think it's all different i you know To me, to me, the biggest thing is, is you know, and I've killed deer in warm weather too, but I think when the weather's cold, um, I think the deer have to be on their feet a little more, and they got to feed. You know, when you got seventy and eighty degree days, they don't have to get up and feed, you know, and they they lay around, they rut at night a little more. Um, And you know, another thing is just, I try not to worry about that too much. I just go to a spot and I just hunt really hard and and try to put in my time because there just is nothing more important than time in a tree and so you can strategize all you want and do all this and all that but if the deer doesn't walk by you or if you're sitting in you know I sit a lot of days from daylight till dark so you know if you're sitting on the couch watching tv during the rut you're not going to kill one um Mm -hmm. so you know it's just hard to it's just hard to pinpoint exact exactly what's what's the right thing to do what isn't and like I said, time spent for me is, is the biggest thing. Cause I know I'm only in a spot a certain amount of time. So I sit there as long as I possibly can.
1: When you're planning your strategy for the fall, are you trying to plan it so that you're chasing the rut somewhat, you know, you know, yeah. di- different yeah, areas.
2: I, I have the, I have the key spots that I like to hit at the best times of the rut. Um, usually in Kansas, say like the sixth through the 12th or 15th of November. I think that's in, in my area where i hunt is the prime uh cruising time i think they're really moving heavy you know you see, start to see some somewhat of a lockdown towards the end of that week but in the beginning I think the big bucks are really on their feet they're moving they're responding to calls really good and that's what I love about Kansas is it's semi-open where I hunt and so I can sit on the edge of a big crp field or, or on the edge of a swamp and I can see a deer and call to him and i can i can I can read his body language and I can see what he What he's doing and how he's going to respond to the call and um to me that's one of the coolest places because the deer um, buck to doe ratios are really good there's not an outrageous number of does so the bucks kind of have to search for does and so the calling and everything works good um and so to me that's like one of the tags that i get almost every year and so as far as the rut goes that's the one place that i really want to be because it, it is such a great spot and, and all the little tactics and tricks work there because of that. So um, I do chase the rut and I hit probably my favorite spots to whitetail hunt, which are my home state of South Dakota, uh, Kansas. Um, a buddy of mine has a really neat farm in Illinois. That's good. I shot a 170 there two years ago. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I do chase the rut. I love the rut. And kind of when the rut winds down and then you go back to hunting food in late season again and it gets super cold and all that. It's not quite as fun as the rut, but the rut just is uh, like a treasure chest. You never know what's going to happen when you open it up, and uh, if you put yourself in the right states and in the right places, you know you could kill huge. When I shot uh, one seventy three last year in Iowa, and I shot a, a one sixty eight that had a ten inch point busted off last year in Kansas. So, nice. you know, those are both great rut hunts. So, yeah, what, what
0: can you describe for some of your like? favorite types of rut stand setups what are those spots like that you just love during the rut
2: i honestly love a spot where i can see a lot um you know the 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 place that i hunted last year was on gabe adair's farm and and uh i'll give him the credit he set the stands and um, he knows the place but he he has the stands right where i would have had him it's right on the edge of a big crp area he's got a little food plot on the bottom there's two or three ridges with timber and from any one spot you know you can see 300 yards and all the way around you and so um the deer that i killed there it came out on this food plot it was about 200 yards away and i snort wheezed and grunted to it and it actually was headed for a little fawn uh to check her he had been locked down this was at the end of november i had been there already about two or three times and had put in a bunch of days hunting well i, I grunted at him and uh he turned and he ran straight to the bottom of my tree, and so I like that scenario where you can see a lot, um, especially during the rut. Because if you see a cruiser out there, you know you want to throw something at him. And I just feel a lot of times if you're in the thick timber, uh, you're not you're not able to see as far. Yeah, you may be able to call blind call and get one to come, but chances are when you do that, he's going to circle downwind in the timber and, and get your wind. So an open setup is is really key for me in the rut and being from South Dakota um I grew up hunting in the wide open and so I like to burn up the CRP with my binoculars um you know I'm naked without a pair of binocs. I can't mm-hmm. I can't go to the tree stand without binoculars and so just that element of being able to see the deer and being able to you know throw some calls to him is just so key and in states where you've got really good buck to doe ratios and you know, the, the, the mature bucks are on their feet looking for the next doe, the calling and stuff works really great. So that's what I, that's what I like. Can
0: you, can you elaborate on the calling techniques you use? I mean like when do you use a grunt? When do you use X, Y, Z, any specifics?
2: Um, When I see it, when I see a buck, uh, you just learn to read their body language and you know, you can tell if he's, if he's going to feed, He's usually walking. He's got his head up. He's cruising. You know, if he's looking for does, he's got his nose to the ground. He's really searching hard and zigzagging back and forth. You know, like a bird dog. And so, in those situations, um, especially if I know it's one of the dominant bucks in the year, I'll throw a snort wheeze at him because, I mean, obviously he's the king of the king of the ground there, and he's going to want to investigate anything like that. So I'll, I'll typically throw a snort wheeze first. Uh, like I did this year in Iowa the buck came out I snort wheezed to him he didn't come to it but he bristled his back up and the only reason I believe that he didn't come was because there was a fawn feeding in the end of this food plot so he started making his way over toward her and I think as he got close he kind of recognized that she was a, a fawn and then I threw out some some growl type grunts to him um and he turned and looked, and I didn't call. I just was real still and quiet. And then he turned and walked a little more. And then I kind of hit him with a, rawr, 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 you know, that that really cool growl, growl. And um, he just turned and came. So at that point, when he turned and started to come, it's over. I put my call down. I don't ever call again because he knows. I mean, he knows exactly where your stand is. Mm-hmm. He's looking. And, so <laughs> he, and he literally came right to the base of my tree, and I shot him at. You know, I was about. 22 24 feet up and it was on a little slope so i was quite a bit above him but he literally was five yards below me wow Wow. and uh literally came to the base of the tree so i think it's important that once you get their attention you know you don't ever you don't call again you got to just let them come and then if they get off off track one way or another maybe give them a little grunt but um i don't care what you're hunting whether it's turkeys or deer or coyotes or elk whatever As soon as they hear that first call and they acknowledge it, whether they look or whether they bugle back or gobble back or howl back at you, they know exactly where you're sitting. So, you know, they can they can they have the uncanny ability to pinpoint the exact blade of grass that you're sitting by. So you just got to get ready and let it happen. So in
1: that setup, you said it was literally five steps and you're you're pretty elevated there. What you know kind of take us through the shot itself and, and the angle that you're taking or, you know, just where you're placing or aiming at exactly to make sure you're, when you're the high, vitals.
2: when you're high like that, you know, you, you take away your, um, your angles, you know, you can't hit him right in the pocket behind the shoulder because it's underneath. So rather than shooting at a deer sideways like this, you're shooting almost, you know, at the top of his back. And so, you know, you got to put it in, you got to put it in a little bit different. And so with that one, I just put it right in the very top, angled it down, got both lungs, and he died in about 80 yards. But, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to being high up in a tree. Um, obviously, advantages are the wind's better, sight lines are better. Disadvantages, at close shots, you take away your shot angles, and you can end up hitting one lung, you can end up hitting them high, uh, maybe even spining them, which I guess isn't a bad thing because they're laying at the bottom of the tree. But, um, Shot angle is very important, and when you get super high like that, it just it cuts it down on the close shot. So you really got to, you know, pick a hair, so to speak, and just make a really good shot. Otherwise, you know, you can shoot over them or get one lung. And as we all know, one lung deer can live mm-hmm. or go a really long way yeah. and be, you know, tough to find. So
1: I'm switching gears a little bit on you, but this kind of made me think about it when we are talking about a close shot. You uh, had a... Kill oh, it was a mule deer, right? Two years ago, right. two falls ago, that yep. you, literally yep. you stalked up on. You had the wind, obviously, and right. you stalked within feet of of that deer. So right. I mean, it won best best uh, big deer at the um, Golden Moose Awards or the Outdoor Sportsman Group Awards or whatever they call it now. But I mean, yep. it was an yep. incredible hunt. So when you're like when you're walking up or sneaking up, you know, kind of stalking that deer and getting that close, when you're at full draw. What, what are you, what are you aiming at when you're so close or is it almost, you're so close you can't, you can't miss it?
2: Yeah, it happened so fast. So what I was doing there was I literally had to keep telling myself cause I kept wanting to look around my peep site and look at the deer. Yeah. So I kept telling myself, you know, to look at him through my peep and keep my pin on him because when he came out of there, it was going to happen fast. So as soon as he got to his feet, you know, I had it on him and I released and luckily I hit him really good. It could have went either way. Um, but in that in that instance, you know, I was at full draw and I kept wanting to kind of look around. Um, and so I literally just kept saying, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So I just kept looking through my people, looking through my people. Then the wind was started blowing harder and harder. And there was so much noise that he didn't even know I was there. So I had to start. I was at full draw for so long. I started going. Meh. And then when he poked up and looked, he saw my cameraman, Kyle, standing in in his lane in his uh, row and then he looked up and kind of saw me right over the top of him. so <laughs> i was on him at that point and when he got up and gave me his vitals i i shot him and then he actually went out and stopped and then uh kind of kept going again but i could tell he was hit good so i just shot him again at about 35 and then he went you know down fast but yeah that was one i didn't know if it, how i was too close i really was i i got to 40 yards and i, I sat for about 30 40 minutes Waiting at forty yards, waiting him because I was right in his row, so I knew when he stood up, I'd just be able to shoot right down the row. And you know, a lot of times those bucks out there, unless they gotta you know get up and take a leak, they're gonna lay there all day. I mean, they lay there till dark. So I just said heck with it. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't a two hundred inch or so. I didn't want to. I wasn't worried about blowing him out because if I didn't get him, it wouldn't have been you know the end of the world. I would yeah. have been disappointed. Um, it was a nice deer, but um, I just wanted to see how close I could get and. I literally was standing right over the top of him, two and a half steps. Jeez. And it, for a long time, I, just had yeah. my, I had my 20 yard pin right on his eyeball, you know? <laughs> and so I was just waiting because I figured when he jumped up out of there, his chest was going to go about where his head was. And uh, it just got to be so long that I had to try to stand him up. And it worked out, luckily. Yeah, a lot of times incredible. they just blow out of there and you never even get a shot. Yeah.
1: Really, yeah. It's incredible footage. If you haven't seen it, is it anywhere
2: online that people can see it or is it just. Yeah. I believe it is. Um, I think you can see it on my Facebook page, on my Nick Munt Facebook page. Um, it's just a really cool hunt, and it it's it's it, it was the closest I've ever gotten to a. You know, I've stocked a lot of deer in my life because, like I say, I'm from South Dakota. That's that's how we hunt. We we you know spot and stock, and so, um, it's the closest I've ever been. You know, on a stock, about two and a half yards. So, what was the wind speed? Well, when we started, it was completely dead. We spotted the deer from over a mile away, and then we watched him lay down. And these fields are real rolling. And so what what we would do is I would go forward to the next little hill and spot him. And then my camera guy, Kyle Metzger, would come up behind me, and then he'd stand where I was. So then I would go down through the dip and come up to the next spot and spot him, and then I'd motion him to come. So we kept doing that and doing that and doing that. And then finally, when we got about 300 yards from him, I just jumped right in his row. So I knew I was in his row, and I just made my way to him slowly, slowly, slowly. And then as we got there, the wind started picking up more and more. And it got to about probably 12 miles an hour, which isn't really high. But in that milo, it just makes a ton of noise, which is perfect. And then we just slowly slipped closer and closer. And then as we got to him, the wind was kind of quartering in my face. And so I went a couple of rows to the left. Um, because I felt like his head, what, he was looking to the right. So I kind of wanted to come in behind him, but I knew the wind was going to be good. So just kept getting closer and closer, and I don't know, just got pretty lucky, really.
1: I wow. love hearing stories like this. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs>
2: it's cool. Now, Nick, you, yeah, I mean. You know, back to the, sorry to interrupt you, but back good. to the outdoor, you know, sportsman's awards, we did win best deer footage, but that, I didn't think I was going to win that because Mark's footage on that, <laughs> big giant deer that he shot i mean that that was just truly a monarch of a buck and a buck of a lifetime not only for mark but for anybody that deer hunts i mean that thing is just yeah amazing. that, that so, was bucktober yeah. that was the yeah, footage was awesome. where he's
1: coming up and he's kind of got the frost on his back and i mean it was it was just the sun was coming yeah. up it was a pretty scene uh beautiful footage th- that's the cool part about those awards though i mean like you think you might have captured a once in a lifetime. Deal, and then we see what we're up against.
2: Yeah. Usually, for the first time that night, you see what you're up against. That's a lifetime deal. It was. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. a phenomenal. One of the best whitetail hunts ever captured. Just the footage is great. The deer is great. Everything about it makes a great shot. I mean, but you do, just you just never know. You, you know it's but, just all a matter of opinion. Yeah, of
1: opinion. but you know, then you you see what Nick accomplished there, and and spot you know stalking up on a wild animal. In the middle of no, you know, oh, yeah. you there's, know, no, there's a terrain lot of great or, stuff being that, captured. That's, yeah, that's cool. And that's the beauty of all these camera crews being out there in the wild all fall and all year. You, you know, we're getting to see as viewers see stuff that you never have seen before, yeah. you know, and that's that's pretty neat. So Some very yeah. cool stuff. And
2: one of the cool things to me is I was a cameraman for for nine years for Realtree. And so I'm a really big advocate of good footage, yeah. steady, clear I love animals my whole life. It's just, it's been, my passion has been animals. And when I was a kid, I wanted to be a vet, but I wasn't smart enough to go to vet school. So I figured rather than save them, I'd just shoot them. So, uh, so to me, unbelievable footage is where it's at. I mean, I just love, I don't even, you know, people ask me too, do you, do you ever go hunting without the camera? You know, I really don't because I like sharing the moment with somebody and I like, I really like getting the footage because I like to show it to my family and friends. I like people to see it. Yeah and there's just something about capturing a hunt on video and getting really good footage of the animal it's just it's just so cool to me it's really what drives me i just love getting killer footage i mean it's just so cool
1: for everything to happen and come together i said it a, a little earlier at that one moment and you have two people with you and a camera and all that equipment like it's pretty special for it to actually come together at that moment yep. of truth so yeah. as the yep. hunter you just hope you don't mess it up
2: <laughs> Is it right? <laughs> that's right it happens it sure does it does speaking speaking <laughs>
0: of the moment of truth nick you have got to have more opportunities to draw back or pull the trigger on deer than than almost anyone out there given all the hunting trips you're going on and the number of opportunities you have out there, so you are in you're encountering that moment of truth a ton, yeah, is there anything that you've learned that's helped you handle that better? Is there anything that we can be thinking about or doing to better handle that moment?
2: You know I don't know man it's it's repetition I mean, when I get in the moment, I get in the zone, and to be honest with you, there's times when I look back and I think to myself. I don't even remember putting the pin on the deer. It just comes natural.
1: I blacked out.
2: (laughs) But I, but I think a lot of what's helped me is just shooting a lot of deer. You know, I've had an opportunity to, to shoot a lot of does. Um, and obviously, you know, we shoot a lot of bucks too, but going to places, you know, early in my, in, in my, I guess you'd call it TV hunting career. Um, went to places in Texas where we shoot a lot of deer and, you know, on one particular show that we did at Vatoville, um, we went there, T-Bone and Michael and I, and maybe one or two other guys, there was five of us, I think, we shot 57 deer in three days. <sighs> oh. They're on a strict management program with the state, and they've got to harvest a certain amount of deer, so, you know, Vato, our buddy, called us up and said, hey, you guys come down, you know, we're not going to shoot any trophies, we're just going to shoot coals and management deer and does, we got to get these deer out of here, we got way too many deer in the state. With our MLD tags, we've got a certain amount that we have to meet. So we went down there and we had just a blast of a time. And so it's stuff like that that I think really helps you become a a better shooter under pressure. And uh, there's nothing like letting the air out of a bunch of does. I mean, (laughs) and it just it just helps you get ready for that moment when the big one comes. Because hey, there's a lot of stuff you got to think about when the big bucks come. And you got all the movement and scent. You got you know, you got to have all the points ready on your bow. You know, I go through a checklist every time I shoot. T-Bone has helped me a lot because he's a great shooter. So check my bubble, make sure my kisser button's in the right spot. Um, you know, just make sure everything's right. And being able to execute just comes with practice. And and so I've been with people before that haven't killed a lot of deer with their bow. And they're waiting, you know, on the big one. It's like, oh, I'm not going to shoot that one. I don't want to shoot a doe. I'm waiting for a big buck, blah, blah, blah. Well, all I can say is you better get some practice because there's a big difference between shooting a deer target in your backyard and making great shots on it and getting out there in the moment of the truth. When you got a big buck coming and your heart's pounding a thousand miles an hour, you know, your heart starts beating more. You got to breathe more and you tend to hold your breath because you're trying to be quiet. So then your heart beats even more. Your head starts spinning. You're seeing cross-eyed. (laughs) <laughs> and there's just a lot that goes into making a good shot. You, and, uh,
1: you painted the picture pretty well there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's, it, you it, know. it happens, And I still get, I still get pumped up. My heart beats hard. I've learned how to, to kind of harness the energy. And then after I shoot, you know, everything kind of boils out and I get that, you know, fist pump and, you know, breathing hard and just can't believe it happened. Um, and a lot of times you just spend so much time in the tree and, you know, you just don't ever know if it's going to happen. Like last year I was in Iowa a bunch of times and seeing big deer and they're just out of range. And I rattled into like a 165 inch nine pointer. He came in and he was 20 yards, but he's behind some brush and and uh, an armadillo or a a possum was walking underneath me in this ditch and he heard it walking. So it stopped him and my heart's beating a thousand miles an hour. All all I got to do is get him to come two steps, you know, and then it, so then you go through all these scenarios and it doesn't happen. And then finally, after spending all that time, it's just the deer comes right in. I shoot him at five yards. It was almost like easy. So,
1: <laughs>
2: you know, there's just all these different scenarios that go into it and, and the practice.
1: Com- the common theme there is your time in a tree. You know, you're spending a lot of time to have an opportunity, you know. And I think, you know, a lot of guys, um, I'll get emails and stuff through a website and they say, I've hunted my whole life and I've never, I've still never killed anything. Um, you know, so – part of that is hunting smarter not harder Mm -hmm. i think part of that is you gotta be where the deer are i mean if you don't have a spot that that you have you know deer just you're not gonna have any luck it just is what it is so in those instances you might have to travel you know and it's not not everybody has the ability to get the time off or or afford maybe a lease or to go to an outfitter but i mean there you know sometimes if you just don't have the deer in your area you may have to go somewhere else and you know, so that moment of truth. To your point, the only thing you can do is make sure you're prepared for, and 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 the way you've been shooting leading up to that point. Because there's a lot of things that you can't prepare for. The biggest being how you're gonna uh, feel, how yeah. you're gonna react when the moment of truth actually happens. I mean, I know guys that you know like Coondog, and and he's killed you know he's killed some good deer through you know his career, but. He always gets amped up, and he can't. That's who he is. Yeah. He cannot help it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So. And, and, you know,
2: you take a guy like started up. Take a guy like Coon Dog, who is a police officer. You know, oh. you'd think that he'd be cool, cool, <laughs> yes. yeah. calm under pressure. But I'd hate to have him pull me over. He'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? but you know, it's just, it's so hard. It's so hard to if you don't get the opportunity to shoot a lot of deer to, to get that experience under your belt. And I know people in, you know, some of the States that the deer aren't as big, you know, those people are some of the best hunters there are. And, you know, maybe they have never even killed a one thirty, and they make the great shot. They do everything right. Um, and so sometimes I think, you know, we're lucky to be able to hunt places that, that have big deer, but the people that don't get the opportunity to hunt deer, I think they still have that get up and go for the hunt. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes we lose sight of what hunting really is, and and I think in all of our pursuits for big deer, um, I think sometimes people lose sight of that. Hey, this is a family thing. It's a tradition. It's uh, something that we take time off of work for, and it's something that we love spending our spare time doing. And so sometimes, you know, size takes away the tradition and the history of the hunt. Now, obviously all of us love hunting and, and, you know, it's what we love to do. And even if we're not killing big deer, we're still going to be hunting. But I just think that, um, people that hunt in places where there aren't big deer and some people can't afford to go to Kansas. Um, you just have to enjoy the place that you hunt Mm -hmm. and the trophy is relative to your area and relative to who you are as a hunter. Now, I know a lot of guys in Pennsylvania that have never shot a 130. I mean, they really haven't. You know, they hunt hard. Um, I get emails all the time. Well, you know, you think you're a great hunter. Come to Pennsylvania. Hey, I <laughs> completely agree. I, I can, love those can, emails. <laughs> I, you know, I, I I know those guys have a tough tough play, tough time hunting. And same with, like, Georgia. You know, the people that hunt public land in Georgia, it is tough hunting. And so I give a lot of props to those people because not only do they hunt day after day, year after year, season after season, and maybe never kill a, a big buck, but they still yeah. have the passion for it. Yeah. They're good hunters, you know, but, and so I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, um, if you're somebody that wants to hunt a, a, a different area or hunt a, you know, an area where that there's legitimately big deer, Just start saving, save a little at a time and reward yourself with a hunt to Kansas or a hunt to Iowa. You know, a lot of times if you put in for um, an Iowa tag, it might take you four years to get it. But there's some unbelievable public land in Iowa where you can go, you can set stands and you can literally kill 150 inch bucks. So, you know, that's just kind of that's kind of would be my message to people that um, don't get to go to other states and maybe would want to but never have. So, you know, that's just kind of a ramble on about that sorry no, i
1: think it's a good point and that to, you know it's kind of your situation you're in michigan you, you know that it is what it is the caliber yep. of buckets the subspecies it is what it is so you make the best of what you have there you put your all into the property you have to hunt yep. you do yep. what you can but you also travel quite a bit mm-hmm. you know so
0: yeah i mean having realistic realistic expectations yep. because i think that's that's one of the big things and, and it the TV, the media is is amazing. It's a lot of fun, but at the same time, if people watch that and they see False your dad of reality. <laughs> right, it, it is it's not a circumstance that everyone has. Yeah. And so I I love looking at that stuff as entertainment. Like it is fun to see that. Yeah, but I'm not going to try to tell myself that I'm not doing a good job if I can't kill. Two two hundred inches, two years in a row. That's yeah. just not realistic for my circumstance yeah. That's awesome that Mark can do. that. That's yeah. awesome that Nick can go and hunt all these different places. That's incredible. I love watching it. But I know in Michigan when I'm hunting little forties and fifties, I have permission on. And yeah. you know, if I if there's a three year old that's hundred and thirty, that is incredible for that area, and that's a huge challenge. And I'll be really yeah, stoked right. if I can kill it. Yeah. And I think we all just need to look at that and have fun. Yeah set realistic yep. expectations and uh yep. you enjoy it a lot more
1: the, the weird part it, in hunting it's so it's predominantly male obviously and and guys are competitive by nature so it becomes a contest of you know the size or the score or i did this and you did that and i'm you know and it it's unfortunate because that, that, that kind of takes hold a lot of times but really i mean it, what it boils down to it doesn't matter the size. It doesn't matter how you're hunting. If you're out there and you're having a good time, by all means, man. If you're doing it legally,
2: yeah, Enjoy that's it. great. Enjoy it. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. The
1: jealousy yeah. I never quite understand. I'm sure Nick, you guys run into that as well.
2: Yeah, and you know we are lucky. You know we are lucky, there. and nobody nobody can nobody can can say that we aren't. I mean, we get to hunt some great places. Do I own my own farm? No. Do I wish I did? Absolutely. But, you know, I've worked my butt off my whole life to get to where I'm at. And, you know, if people, you know, give me, guy calls me and says, Hey, I got 400 acres here in Illinois and it's phenomenal. And I'm the only one that hunts it. I got a bunch of mature bucks. You want to come hunt? What am I going to do? Say, no, it's too good. I'm not (laughs) coming down too good. You know? (laughs) And, you know, so I want to kill big deer. I really do. Um, but I also know that there's a lot of people that don't have the opportunity and, do they want to? Yeah, but you got to create. You got to create your success. So, if you want to hunt big deer, and you live in an area where there aren't big deer, you got to go to somewhere where there's big yeah. deer. You know, and like, and like you were saying, in in Michigan, perfect example. If you got a three-year-old on your ground that's 125, 130-inch buck, and and you can get him killed, that's killer. You know, mm-hmm. throw him on the wall and enjoy him for the rest of your life because that might be the biggest buck you ever kill there. But if you want to go somewhere else, start saving your coins because it's very rewarding when you get to go to a place like Iowa or Kansas and you don't even look at a 130, you know. So
0: It is fun getting to those places and seeing that different – it's a different world.
2: It is a different
1: world. It is. It really is. Before we – and we've gone way long. But I always like it when we have guests like Nick because it's such an easy – I mean, just no, the it's conversation. Fun. It's just a couple of buddies hanging out, right?
2: I so get kind of low-winded. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> no you're, you're it's good. 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 So I
1: see you're sitting in what looks to be a, a trophy room. If you can and if you want to, I'd love to see you know maybe one your, or two of your best whatever. Show us some of your best okay. deer, best memories. <laughs> So, we did this with Stan Potts a couple uh,
2: podcasts yeah, ago, he
1: and it was it was ridiculous. Stan, of course, had a couple two hundreds. Uh-huh.
2: Here's a couple. Yeah, I don't have any two hundreds, but um, these are these are a uh, South Dakota deer on the bottom. Up nice. to the left is uh, a Nebraska deer, awesome. and then a Wisconsin deer um, above it, and then uh, over works. in this corner here. <laughs> And I got about—I don't know—I probably have about 18 or 19 heads in here. I got about another 20 over at my um, my girlfriend's mom's place, and then I got another 15 or 18 at the taxidermy shop. So, <laughs> um, this this velvet buck is one that I killed in Wyoming a few years ago. He's like 145. Um, He—I chased him for seven days, missed him twice, and he actually kept coming back to the food plot, and I ended up getting him. He was an EHD survivor, so wow. he didn't have a—he didn't have any. Uh, nuggets in his nugget sack <laughs> um, and then <laughs> he this, needed
1: to go <laughs> yeah
2: so it was a really cool deer a great hunt and then uh that mule deer i shot in new mexico and this is a 163 inch kansas buck there wow next to it um this is a this is this buck here is a really cool buck i don't know if you can see him very good or not uh-huh. yeah this is a buck i shot in nebraska he's uh 155 and he's probably got Oh, he's probably got close to 10 inches busted off. Wow! But I, I I killed him in a snowstorm in Nebraska. He was a pretty cool buck. Nice. And then uh, this one, let's see this one here. This is a 100 and I just posted this one on my Instagram page as a little throwback, Nick's big game on Instagram. Um, this was a buck I shot in Canada. He's a six by six. I hunted him for 10 days, daylight till dark, 20 below zero. And finally, on the very last day, I had to leave at noon. He came out, and I got him, shot him with my uh, muzzleloader. And uh, seriously, I've never cried like that in my life. I cried for like 30 minutes because it was absolute hell. Wow. Torture sitting that long. See,
1: the last day, man. I'm telling you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and then uh, this man, is this awesome. is a huge eight I shot in South Dakota. Awesome. Uh, wow. He's a 160-inch eight-pointer, super wide, <laughs> seven-inch brows, Really long tines and beams. Just uh, awesome hunt. Killed him in the uh, sunflowers in South Dakota at a buddy of mine's place.
1: Is that pretty typical for South Dakota that size of deer? I always think of a kind of a no.
2: No, you know this is this is a big one. This is this is my biggest buck I've ever killed in South Dakota for sure. How how wide was
1: he? Do you recall?
2: How wide? Yeah. I think he was like 22 inside. Nice. 20 almost 25 outside. Nice. Jeez. So this here is my biggest mule deer. Uh, shot him in Mexico. He's, I didn't really score him, but he was somewhere like two Oh eight and seven eights. <laughs> <laughs> it it <laughs> but he's is somewhere big, in there. He's got, a, he's got a three and a half inch drop time. Um, other than that, he's basically, you know, like a two Oh five typical, just a giant 50 awesome. inches of Dang. mass and just my biggest deer by far. So
0: awesome. Don't you love, he's, I just love being in like my room like this and just looking at every one of these and thinking about it. We're telling the story.
2: Yeah. I'm a taxidermy nut man. And I just, I love it. Well, over here, um, is my bear. I got him (laughs) in Russia, big Larry here. And, uh, when I killed him, he was 10, like 10 foot three or 10 foot four. His hide was squared. I mean, obviously he's not that wasn't that big on the body. I would say, you know, it's hard to say exactly, but, big enough i mean yeah yeah (laughs) he's big so my my ceiling is nine foot six and he touches the top of that with his head so nice um and then uh over here is a mule deer that i shot in montana uh several years ago he's right at 180 um shot him in the early 90s and uh you know he was for a long time my biggest buck it's really nice there yeah yeah wide yeah, he's a really pretty one. And these two are probably my two, two of my most favorite whitetails. Um, this guy here is a 175-inch 10-pointer with a tiny little sticker that I shot in eastern Colorado. Just a massive, wow. big, heavy beams and long and, and uh, long points.
0: Heck of a Colorado Yeah, just buck. A,
2: a beautiful buck. And then this one beside him here is one I shot in Ohio a couple years, and he was uh, 163 with basically no brow time yeah, so
1: yeah he's got good mass jeez
2: yeah and then a, you know on the wall behind a bunch of bears that i've shot over the years and whoops where am i going here there we go that's awesome, awesome. you got a great so, setup down there nick
1: yeah yeah thanks for taking yeah. us through the trophy room
2: yeah and then this is my best antelope ever he's uh just a hair over 80 inches so he was good i shot him with my bow in colorado too so so that's that's just some of my stuff i got a lot more but my house isn't quite big enough so i got to build me a new trophy room <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a good problem to i was have. gonna say that's problem we all want to have <laughs> yeah.
2: nick
1: i want to make sure we have you back on again because we didn't even get to go into any of the good stories back in your cameraman days i'm sure you have some <laughs> tales oh, to yeah. tell
2: tons tons tons, tons. <laughs> yeah and i hey i appreciate being on you guys this is this has been great for me and and uh, let me make sure i'm make sure i'm plugged in here sorry hold on i'm gonna lose you again hold on hold on hold on, hold on. Hold on.
1: <laughs> dang it hey we're not live so it's all good <laughs> i'm sorry
2: god dang it my thing came unplugged so all right
1: yeah so we're gonna have to have you back on for another podcast we want to hear all the good stories, all the dirt <laughs> from all the years where you were packing the camera. Because you said, be some good stuff. was it eight or nine years you were a camera guy?
2: Nine years. Nine yep. years. Yeah. Yep. Wow. yep. So next time. That's right. That's, well? that's Yeah. Hey, look, I, I get long-winded. Sorry, guys. I, I got the gift of gab. So <laughs> no, you fit right in here. Perfect,
0: perfect <laughs> podcast guest. So, Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to do this.
2: Oh, man. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Been thank a lot you. of fun. A lot of fun.
0: And I guess we'll we'll leave our listeners and viewers with our last couple quick updates. If you want to send in a question of your own for a future episode, you can do that. We'd love it if you did. You can head over to wired dot huntcom slash 100 wild. It's very easy. You can leave your own voicemail question there. We'd love to hear it. And you can subscribe to the audio version on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Very easy to do. And you'll get all the new episodes right on your phone or tablet or computer. And Matt? You could check
1: out the video version of this by subscribing to the Drury Outdoors YouTube channel. And we have all the former episodes up. I think heck, we're into the 30s now, 40s, the, po- 40s yeah. on the podcast. Uh, so there's plenty of content to go through, especially now that the season's coming up. You're going to want to go back and, and check out. We've had some great guests through the, the last year or so. Oh, so yeah. check that out. And of course, we have a bunch of new original hunts on YouTube uh, under DOD TV. And as always, follow us on social media. And Nick, before we go, I did want to give you a chance to plug uh, you have a new show on the outdoor channel original series called survival science
2: yes sir yep survival science it's uh main showing is uh monday night at nine eastern um and then of course bone collector and real tree road trips as well so
1: awesome man thanks again for coming on we appreciate it buddy good luck this fall
2: oh thank you guys man i really appreciate it hope you guys have good luck too
0: all right thanks and thanks everyone for watching and listening peace